Thank you for coming tonight. Tonight we'll be hearing from Helena Montree, who's one of our senior devotees here and very learned in the scriptures. And uh, you'll see after this lecture, a great uh, and uh, engaging speaker. So tonight's talk is the Vedas. The Vedas. India's greatest gift to the world. Right after this, we actually have a few new faces here. Uh, we have a talk till 6.30, then we'll open the curtains and have an ancient RT ceremony. And then after that, we um, have the feast. So. Good evening. We're all gearing up for the gem show. And uh, this is always the sort of like the Christmas season for Govinda's The Rush. Not in the whole of Tuesday. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully we can mine a gem out of this discourse here. So, um, once there was a, there was a uh, an exchange between Srila Prabhupada, our founder and preceptor, uh, an Indian student was attending a talk and uh, Prabhupada was discussing the need of religion, philosophy, and change of consciousness. And this Indian student was saying, um, what is the practical value of all this? We need technology. We need to develop ourselves you know, materially. And Prabhupada said, yes, you're coming to the West to beg, but I've come to give. And I don't remember the, the rhyme, but it was something in Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, was that it? So India has always been a source of great culture and wealth, and even up until five, six hundred years ago, it was recognized in that way. Spices, very exotic spices, silks, and of course the famous crown jewels, which were stolen by the British from the temples in India. Uh, there was great wealth. Uh, but again, the, the real wealth, the most significant wealth, is the, uh, the spiritual culture which is encapsulated within the Vedic literatures, which are extensive Sanskrit writings that deal with all fields of, of knowledge, material and spiritual. Literally, the word Veda means knowledge. And uh, briefly, we can just give a little prelude. Oftentimes people, um, they express, you know, a concern that, well, this is just faith you know, in scriptures, you just have faith. And really, if we just use a little common sense, we really can't function without faith in any meaningful way. Just like you probably, most of you probably drove in your car. And we have faith that 
people are obeying the traffic signals. When you pull up to a red light or a green light, you have faith that people are going to stop. You, you don't just, you're not completely paranoid. Oh my God, am I going to get smashed here? I mean, or you're going to get on a, get on an airplane. You have faith the pilot is competent and he's authorized. And, but this is reasonable faith based on historical precedents that the, the airline's been in business for whatever, 75 years, and they've got a pretty good record. So they, so, um, so when we talk about scriptural, you know, knowledge, knowledge of a, a realm of existence beyond our purview of our material senses, it's not unreasonable to have faith in higher authorities, just like most of you probably don't work on your own car. You bring it to a mechanic who knows what he's doing, he or she is doing. Um, so we accept, if you're, if you're having legal problems, you go to a lawyer, you know, and some people try to represent themselves, but you know, most, most folks uh, take the assistance of a lawyer. So it's important to, to not, not just have faith in books of knowledge, but that there are authorities, there are personalities, you could say spiritual scientists. There's a science of spirituality and there are spiritual scientists. Because if you didn't have spiritual scientists or if you didn't have a science, if you have a science but no scientists, it's really meaningless. So the fact that we have scriptures, but so in Sanskrit, it's called, uh, there's the Bhagavad, the, the Lord and his, uh, full of all opulence and his devotees are also considered Bhagavad. So there's the book Bhagavad, the scripture, and then there's the person Bhagavad, the personality. And the Vedas describe of course, the Vedas originally were one. They were imparted into the heart of Lord Brahma, the original created being in the universe. And they were divided into four Vedas, the Yajur, Sama, Atharva, and the Rig Veda. And there are supplementary Vedic literatures, the Upanishads, um, Puranas, Itihasas. There are literally thousands of, of teachings in the Vedas. And it would be, not only is it impractical, but it's just unreasonable to expect people to try to assimilate all that knowledge. So we go to the person Bhagavad who can explain the essence, those great authorities who have studied extensively the Vedic teachings, um, they can distill that information into what is the essence. And I wanted to sort of emphasize that this International Society for Krishna Consciousness is fundamentally uh, founded on this, this line of spiritual teachers presenting the Vedic knowledge in a relevant manner through the medium of literatures. Um, and our founder, preceptor, Prabhupada's most compelling instruction from his guru was to present the Vedic uh, teachings in 
in especially in the English language, because English is, I don't know if it's the, I don't know, in terms of population, how many people are speaking English, but I know in China, they've got a lot of people there, but, but it's certainly the forerunner of language on the planet now, especially with the whole global globalization and so on. So uh, without getting, you know, too caught up and trying to explain historic, I'm not a historian, I can't give you, I'm not a real scholar, I can't give you um, a real detailed analysis of Vedic literatures, but I can present the essence as I've heard it from these great personalities that Prabhupada is following a line of great spiritual uh, teachers ultimately going back to the original created being, Brahma. Our, our, our line of teachers stems from Brahma, the first created being, Brahma, Madhva, Madhva, Gaudiya, Sampradaya, or this Jacintic line. So, but without, without going into detail, which I can anyways, but it's really irrelevant in the sense of we don't understand the purpose of our life or creation for that matter, just like if you had a car, and you studied all the intricate, you know, uh, systems, the brake system and the electronic system and the way the engines firing the pistons and, and you had a very thorough knowledge, but you had no concept that what a car is meant to be used for. It's, it's to transport people from point A to point B. So someone may have extensive knowledge, but if they don't understand the utility of something, it's, it's really not that important. So, in terms of understanding the Vedas, there's actually a statement in the Gita which says uh, the Vedas mainly deal with the three modes of material nature. This is what's going on in terms of our day-to-day -day life. We've got material senses, <coughs> eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and we're interacting with the material creation. That's our, that's our most immediate experience. So when we're talking about transcendence, in one sense, it's sort of irrelevant because we can't access it with our material senses. So the Vedas deal quite a bit with understanding what creation is and how we are in a very awkward position as a eternal spiritual being amidst a temporary environment, as we were talking on the campus. Really, the material world is just, it's an energy of names and forms. It's, it's, it's a bhumir apunalovayur kamano buddha evacha, earth, water, fire, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego, Krishna, or God describes this material energy. It's a separated energy. It's an eternal energy. It's always existing, but it's constantly being transformed into various shapes. And then we name it according to the form that it's in. But then in due course of time, that form dissolves and is transformed into another thing. So, but, but we have this, this uh, confronted with a, an awkward position, especially in terms of our identity, if we identify ourselves to be the present body that we're in, um, that's a problem because the body's gonna deteriorate and, and, and die. And nobody wants to die, or at least we want to avoid suffering and um, so getting back to the whole point of purpose the purpose of creation you know without going into detail but if we understand the purpose 
And the material world, uh, Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita, is like a banyan tree. It's a reflection of the real world where we've left and why have we come. And this, this banyan tree is reflected on desire. And the desire is like the water. If you stand on the bank of a lake or a river and there is a tree, then you'll see reflected in the water, there'll be an upside down tree. So this is the example that Krishna gives in the Gita, that this material world has form and uh, activity that's just a reflection, an impermanent reflection of the real world, of the spiritual or transcendental realm. And we are very much, we're, we're entangled, uh, we're attached, just like the word yoga means connected, or you could say attached. But right now, our attachment is to temporary things. So we're, we're, it's a very awkward situation. We want permanence. Uh, we, want, we want happiness and love always and forever. Uh, we don't want relationships that, that uh, you know, heartbreak. Relationships is broken. It's devastating. It's probably the most painful thing we can experience is when a loved one, when that relationship is broken, either from a dysfunctionality or death or something. So this desire to love and be loved is the, even within the material realm, we see that's the focus. Without loving relationships, um, there's no real substance to our life. You know, we can, we can have all the toys, you know, that we can possibly gather, but you'll just be a lonely person with a bunch of toys, you know. So, and that love, that original love the soul has for God is, is in this reflected reality is directed towards impermanent things and impermanent relationships. So, in, there's a fundamental description of what's called jnana and vigyan, knowledge and practice or realization. Theoretical knowledge uh, has, a, has a purpose, but it's, it's meant to bring us to a practice. So sometimes uh, there's a, there's a, not a contrast, there's a, uh, what's the word? There's a, you could say a coin. There's two sides of the same coin. There's philosophy and religion. Religion is really just the expression of philosophy, and it's and exp it's expressed through culture. That's philosophy is really expressed through culture. So religion really is just a culture of reestablishing our original um, consciousness in this world, and in that way prepare ourselves to return to our original spiritual uh, existence at the time of death of this body. And without philosophy, religion can become sentimental and fanatical. And that's very dangerous. People, because they feel they have the authority of God behind them, and they can do crazy things in the name of God, like we experience so much now in the modern world. Um, 
And the Vedas, they don't present a sectarian religion. They're really, the Vedas really deal with consciousness and fundamentally four types. Of course, there's all sorts of overlapping, but fundamentally, the Vedas deal with realms of consciousness and the Vedas are described to be like a desire tree. Whatever you desire, you can find in the Vedas. If you want to improve yourself materially, just like most people in this world, they, uh, unless they're really um, dysfunctional, they want to improve their living condition. They, they want to you know, get a nicer car, get a nicer house, move to a better neighborhood. They want to improve their standard of living. So if you just expand it on a more universal level, the Vedas talk about, well, if you really want to enjoy, there are higher planets where that facilitates greater enjoyment greater longevity, bodily beauty, and the, the descriptions of higher planets in the Vedas are, are pretty amazing. But you're still within the realm of temporality. And uh, Krishna describes in the Gita, Abrahma bhuvana loka puna arvita You go up to the highest planet, down to the lowest. It's all places, it's all temporary and various um, types of suffering inevitably come about. So th those four types of consciousness, beginning with the, the karmis, or the ones who want to enjoy the material world. So the Vedas deal with a regulated life, prescribed duties, where you can improve yourself materially, and in that way not just be a wild animal, just uh, hedonism, just tr trying to enjoy your the material senses in an unrestricted way, that, that type of consciousness is not even really within the realm of Vedic teachings, that's animal consciousness, where we're, we're simply being impelled by the material senses and we want to gratify our material senses, then that type of consciousness, one goes down into the lower species of life, you're sort of out of the realm of Vedic uh, knowledge, because uh, it, it's sort of like we've disqualified ourselves. We're in the, in the realm of an animal, even though we may have a human body, but our consciousness is more like that of an animal. And that means in the, at the time of death, we will be propelled into an animal body to facilitate our desires. Again, this, this banyan tree, this reflection of the spiritual realm into the material world is, is rests on desire. And God is fulfilling our desires. We have independence, we have free will, and he's not in interfering. Uh, he's letting us work out our issues, basically, in the material world. Um, so the next realm of consciousness is the jnanis, the philosophers who see the futility of trying to gratify oneself materially. They want liberation. They want transcendence, enter into a... Uh, a state of liberation or mukti, which involves getting or entering into the Brahman sphere, the effulgence of the personality of Godhead. And the yogis is another realm of the mystics. And these levels of consciousness are throughout any type of uh, religious system or spiritual system. So again, the Vedas are not talking about a sectarian religion. They're talking about different levels of consciousness. So the yogis, the mystics, they're looking for uh, either focusing on the divine personality of Godhead expanded within the heart, or they're 
Oftentimes they'll uh, get distracted by the mystic perfections that come along with progressive yoga practice. And then we get into the realm of the bhakta or the devotee, which Krishna describes at the end of the sixth chapter, which is describing the yoga system. Uh, that of all yogis, the one with great faith, who's always thinking of me and engaged in my devotional service, they're considered the highest. So the Vedas are giving uh, direction how to progress towards whatever you want within the material world. But the, the ultimate goal of the Vedas, Krishna describes in the 15th chapter, Vedaisha Savar Aham Eva By all the Vedas, I am to be known. Indeed, I'm the compiler of Vedanta and I'm the knower of the Vedas. And later on, at the end of the Gita, Krishna says, the only way to know me personally is through devotional service. And it's the process of bhakti, devotional service. Bhakti Amamamijananti. That this is the, uh, the expression of our dormant. Consciousness, our love for God, is expressed practically uh, through the process of, of bhakti yoga. Um, and from the where the Gita leaves off at that point of surrender, then we pick up at what's called the Srimad Bhagavatam, the Bhagavad Purana, which we have a little sample here. It's an 18 volume, uh, 18, right? 18 volume? 18 volumes where we go into really the details of what surrender to God, how it manifests in this world. And there are descriptions of uh, various incarnations of God who have appeared throughout history of the universe and how great devotees and the trials and tribulations they experience. That's a big theme in the, the Srimad Bhagavatam. The, the struggles that we are contended with in this material world, how and how pure devotees of the Lord, how they navigate um, the trials and tribulations in this world. Um, and the culmination of, of the uh, Bhagavad Purana really is, is distilled even more, further and further, to the process of uh, what is called Nam Sankirtan, in this age, um, what's the verse in the eleventh canto, the famous Lord Chaitanya verse? Intelligent people will perform Sangadandya. Krishna, what is it? Krishna, Bharat, Visha, Krishna, Sangopangasta, Parsadam, Jagyai, Sangutana, Prayari, Jantihi, Sumedha, Sahas, towards the end of the Bhagavatam. And Krishna again has appeared in this age of Kali as Sri Taitanya Mahaprabhu and propagated the, again, distilled essence of all the Vedic teaching is encapsulated in this process of chanting this Maha Mantra. It's, it's high octane. It's, it's the distilled essence, just like they have that, uh, I don't know, there's some medicinal, I remember the, the flower essences, you know, we have an essence of, Anyways, it was a, a type of homeopathy or something, like these flower essences. So, um, and that's another, in another area of essence is that 
Um, God's not really interested in an external show of religion. He wants the essence. And that essence is our love, our devotion. And it's expressed externally through religious rituals and culture. That's the expression of our devotion. And, but it doesn't matter. There's no material qualification or disqualification. One doesn't have to be anything materially. Successful, unsuccessful, rich, poor, uh, beautiful, ugly. It, it doesn't matter because that's all just superficial. It's, it's really the, the offering of our dormant love for God that is awakened specifically or especially in the, in the form of this chanting. But Lord Chaitanya's spiritual master, Isvarapuri, said, if you want to really develop your attachment for the chanting of the Holy Name of the Lord, you have to study Srimad Bhagavatam. So again, we could, we could fall into a, a sentimentalism or a fanaticism about the chanting. If we don't have good philosophical understanding of how God is inconceivable, even in his creation of this material world, God has invested all his potencies in, the, in his holy name. So if we have some appreciation of the inconceivable power of God, even just within this material realm, uh, what to speak of beyond in the spiritual realm, there's nothing God can't do. That's what it means to be God. You can do anything. You're all powerful. You have all wealth, all knowledge, all strength, all beauty, all fame. There's nothing God can't do. So God has specifically invested his, all of his potencies within this chanting of the holy names of the Lord. And by cultivating a deep understanding of the significance of that through these, uh, this Srimad Bhagavatam, which we, um, our, our dear Atul Govinda Prabhu, who's really dedicated one of, he, he wears many caps here, but one of his most important caps is he's responsible for helping distribute uh, these Vedic literatures translated by Srila Prabhupada. And we have our little chart on the back there where you can get involved in sponsoring, either uh, taking the books yourselves and, and gifting them to people or sponsoring them so they can be distributed to people who may not be able to afford them. So we thought we'd bring the Bhagavatam out. This is like sort of the granddaddy of all the books, you know, the Srimad Bhagavatam. And as we mentioned, there's 18 volumes and uh, it's, it's literally a treasure house of amazing culture and philosophy that will captivate your heart and really, really jettison you to a whole nother level of spirituality. If you, if you can get, if you can immerse yourself in studying the Bhagavatam um, and along with the study of the Bhagavatam, uh, the idea of transmitting that knowledge. We, we mentioned, I don't know if it was class I did in the morning, but just like with water, if water is flowing, it stays fresh. But if water pools up, it stagnates, you know. So studying the Srimad Bhagavatam, it's not enough just to study, but one has to let that knowledge flow through them. And that way it remains very fresh and, and, and it really becomes um, 
it becomes realized knowledge. Otherwise, it, it can remain just sort of theoretical when you just study philosophy. So the practice um, involves the distribution of that knowledge. And in that way, you realize the knowledge because now you're acting as an agent of this great line of spiritual preceptors. And by their grace, by the, by ultimately, the, the process of devotional service is, it's a process of receiving grace. It's not that we're climbing up of our own effort, but it's developing a particular uh, culture and consciousness of gratitude and compassion, forgiveness, uh, cleanliness, truthfulness, austerity. These, these are all um, facets of a spiritually healthy individual. And this compassion of distributing spiritual knowledge is really the activating agent, the catalyst where you can really uh, uh, access the knowledge. Just like if you have like security clearance, there's some confidential database, you know, at work or something, you have to have security clearance, you know, you have to be a trusted employee. So if we really want access to the confidential knowledge of the Vedas, it involves developing this mood of compassion and helping others uh, get out, get disentangled from their uh, bewilderment. So we just thought we, we would put the Bhagavatam here and just like we have sponsorships there, uh, a set of the Bhagavatams is about $250. And if, uh, if you would be, we're just trying to plant a seed that um, if, you, if you're interested in really, uh, really going deep in your spiritual life, get involved with distributing, reading and distributing spiritual knowledge. And you can talk to Atul Govinda Prabhu, he's beyond the table outside. And uh, if you want to get involved in distributing Srimad Bhagavatam or any other, other literatures, we can uh, get you involved. Okay, any burning questions or comments? We're a little late, but... Um... Yes, What is the definition of love? Well... It really it means service. When you love someone, you want to serve them. And in Sanskrit, it's called seva. It means unconditional service. I'm not serving to get something in return. So this is the, in the Bhagavatam, speaking of the Bhagavatam, it says, Savai pumsam paro dharmo, yato bhaktiyar hoksaje, ahoyta ki apratiyata, yayatma supasiriti, the highest dharma, the highest service, is that, uh, is, is unconditional and uninterrupted service to God. God is said to be Purnatam Purusottam. Purnatam means complete. He has no desires. He is complete by all means. So, how can we serve him? Can you serve someone who is already complete? Well, the service is really for our benefit. 
God doesn't need our service. So he's, he's accepting our service for our benefit. He's, he's Atmaram. He's completely satisfied. He doesn't need anything. He's the source of all spiritual and material worlds. But we need to, to uh, reinstate ourselves in our constitutional position as, as loving servants. So, so, so Krishna, God, has manifested this material creation and he's given us the Vedas, which are like the handbook for disentangling ourselves from this material creation. And rather than take the scenic route of going through the various levels of consciousness, kar karmi, jnani, yogi, if we just go straight, it's just like if you want to go to uh, the top of the whatever Empire State Building, you know, there are stairs and there's the elevator. So, but the idea is you want to get to the top so going through these various levels of consciousness described in the Vedas, it's like going up the stairs. But if you just take the elevator, you just engage in unalloyed devotional service to the Lord, bhakti yoga, then you go straight up to the top. We're not, it's not that we're better, but why spend unnecessary time dabbling in the material world until you become frustrated to the point where, okay, I surrender, this is all... Um, a waste of time. It's not satisfying me. Thank you very much. We'll have Kirtan and Prashad. Hey, Krishna Das, did you go to Sunday school? Yeah. You did it? The one I went in and ended. Yeah, we don't know late. what's happening when it's not. Yeah, so, um, I don't know we'll, we'll, we'll be better at, at telling you. Sometimes I don't know if it's happening or not. It'll happen every week, and then we'll be better at telling you if it's not. Okay? okay. <laughs> All right. We're just going through growing pains. <laughs> We're getting it sorted out. It's happening. It's happening. You haven't seen those before?